listening to the Taming Hindrances podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to episode number 11 of the Taming Hindrances podcast. My name's Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast, and today's episode is about the mysteries. On the podcast so far, I've talked on multiple occasions about mystery schools, uh, schools of philosophy, you know, the religions of the world. These are what's covered underneath of the mysteries uh, or the mystery schools. Specifically, the mysteries are designed as kind of an initiation system. Um, That's kind of the entitlement they've gotten over the years. But when I talk about the mysteries, I'm really talking about these, you know, mystery schools or sets of philosophical teachings that have to do with quote unquote universal mysteries and also, you know, the religions in general. The reason I get into the mystery schools and the, the teachings of the mysteries is specifically because this is where a lot of esoteric and exoteric knowledge is hidden or is disseminated. Specifically, when we're talking about the mystery schools, we have these two things known as esoteric and exoteric. And as I've talked about on multiple occasions, we have, you know, the duality. Esoteric is looking inside of the human system or the inside of the human consciousness. Exoteric, EXO, is looking outside of the human system. So looking for uh, divine intervention, divinity, um, alien life form, or non-planet stationed higher intelligence, those types of things. So that's kind of the big, uh, if we wanted to take, you know, the 30,000 foot view of the mystery schools or philosophical teachings slash, you know, religious teachings, we have that differentiation of esoteric versus exoteric. Again, ESO, ESO, inside of the human system, and EXO, EXO, outside of the human system, specifically uh, divine or non-planetary based. Or just um, in some schools, that exoteric just includes anything non-human intelligence. So any other greater intelligence or even sometimes lesser intelligence as with uh, the Shaolin systems. So let's get into some of those systems because they are big and broad and they are ever present in just about every culture, every civilization throughout human history. The big names on the list are the ones we hear about constantly in the conspiracy theory worlds and those types of things. Um, Those are, you know, the Freemasons, the Masonic groups, which includes and doesn't include, but are relevant or relevant to each other for like the Illuminati, the Knights Templar, the Skull and Bones, those types of organizations. Inside of that, we also have, you know, things like the Golden Dawn, which is, you know, connected to the Rosicrucians. And then you have, um, farther than that, you can get into the Gnostic societies and the Hermetics with, you know, not in, not just including, but also relevant to sacred geometry. Even farther than that, you know, we can go into different just world religions. As I, you know, I constantly say, like, I like to take religion out of things, 
But the religions themselves can be traced back specifically to some of the mystery school teachings. And a lot of these can all get traced back to what's considered the Egyptian mystery schools, which come from, by direct lineage, the teachings of um, what you'll find is known as uh, Thoth or Hermes Trismegistus. Uh, Hermes Trismegistus, the translation to that, uh, Trismegistus means the thrice great. So you have the thrice great Hermes, also known as Thoth, also represented in, you know, the Greek um, and the Greek schools of philosophy. But specifically, we look at, you know, Grecian, uh, the Grecian pantheon, the Greek pantheon. We can look at the Norse pantheon. Just about every religious pantheon had a representation of Thoth. And given the time frame, you know, if we have take the Norse, the Egyptian and um, some of the other religious aspects of the time, we get, so let's just, we'll stick with the three because that's kind of where the thrice great come from. We have um, Norse, Egyptian, and the Greek pantheons for their, you know, naming system for their gods, quote unquote. And I, I don't mean to diminish religions in any way here. I am personally against organized religion known as dogmatic beliefs because well, it just breeds people not thinking for themselves and just taking other people at their word. As I say always, I'm not an expert. Go out and do your own research. Constantly question everything, as we've talked about in the first 10 episodes of this podcast. That was the idea of, you know, where these things come from or what I'm talking about now. So I, I like to sometimes build from the the complete and then re-engineer it backwards. That's kind of how I've learned everything in my life. So it's kind of how I set up the podcast. The complete idea is self-awareness and mental health. Well, how do we engineer that? And then where did I get this information from? Or where do my thought processes come from? It comes from studying these mysteries. So we have the North Pantheon, the Greek Pantheon, the Egyptian Pantheon. Each one of those had a representation of what would be considered thought or the individual who brought humanity information from the gods. Um, in the North mythology, this would be representative of Odin. And it's the only pantheon in which the head of the pantheon was the individual who brought information to humanity. Odin was leading um, his people, the Asgardians. I, I'm not going to get into all that. North mythology is amazing to get into and I'll try not to get into the pantheons too much, but we'll just take that one at the top level. Odin gives up his eye for true wisdom and then is able to disseminate that wisdom to humanity uh, through different avenues, but it, it strictly goes through Odin to humanity. So Odin would be a representation of thought. Again, try not to get too far into that because it gets very in depth. Then uh, we have, you know, in the Norse community and the Norse religions, there is a physical representation of that in the community uh, known as a wise seer or a wise one. Um, and we can see that through other religions and, and civilizations as well. But getting into the Greek pantheon, we have uh, Hermes. Hermes was the messenger of the gods and also took messages from the gods to humanity itself. So we have Hermes, you know, again, messenger system here. Odin, messenger of the God, is the God messenger or from a higher, Odin's the intermediary from the, 
the higher mysteries, the higher knowledge that he gave up his eye for to give to the people below him, specifically his people, which then included those on Midgard or Earth. So that's how that works. Anyway, moving on into the Egyptian pantheon, there's a couple different representations of Thoth, but there's just Thoth, uh, you know, the god Thoth. So this is where we see a correlation, again, one time, okay, two times mm, causality, three times, okay, now we have correlation. We have a correlation of an individual who represents greater knowledge coming to humanity. And that is known in the mystery schools as as Thoth or Hermes Trismegistus. Uh, It's put different ways. And inside of the mystery schools, be them philosophical or religious, you know, or a secret society, those types of things, that individual is typically a representation that there is a higher knowledge, a higher wisdom, something beyond what we grasp as an everyday, you know, normal sciences and culture and math and these types of things, that there's a higher order, if you will. And, you know, we've talked about the primordials, chaos and order. This is to say that the primordials exist. This is kind of the representation of that. Now, if we look through the Thoth path, which is just one of many paths, every, every mystery school, every religion, every culture, if you will, has some sort of path in which this knowledge was passed on. So if we look at the Thoth path, we can trace that back to the Egyptian mystery schools, which if it's almost like language. So if we look at language as a whole, you know, linguistics, we have the Teutonic languages, you know, we have the Romance languages. We have almost hierarchies of how, you know, language came about. Well, it's similar here. How did the mystery schools come about or how did the initiation come about? And if we trace them back for the most part, we have this idea of Thoth or Hermes Trismegistus. And that individual getting knowledge from a greater or a, a greater order or a greater knowledge structure. So it doesn't just simply sit with that individual or that passing lineage. It sits in the idea that there is some sort of higher knowledge, some sort of higher wisdom beyond the intelligence level of humanity. This is commonly referred to as a god. Or if you're in some of, you know, if we look at uh, Mesoamerican, um, some Mesopotamian, um, and and just different indigenous, what we can call indigenous now, indigenous, um, I hesitate to use the word tribe because all people are tribal, but I guess that fits appropriately. Indigenous, Indigenous tribe works, there is a commonality there that a lot of these, you know, Native American tribes that information was given to them from a higher power perspective, a higher perception. Um, some even go ahead to say that it's ex, exter, exo, ex, extraterrestrial. It's, it's beyond just from earth. So that's where those schooling ideas come from that. Yes, there is something greater out there. There's something of a higher intelligence than we are. And, this gets ever deeper, you know, it goes into the schools of magic and I will hopefully maybe get into magic at some point, but the lesson that's taught specifically to anyone who's ever delved into the idea of magic, uh, or, you know, 
the the magic hole is if you will is there's science there there's there's other things there than what we give it credit for if you're going to delve into the mystery schools you really need to understand that there is more there than just the the general connotation of oh that's you know that's all BS. Oh, that's the, it's wonky. It's, it's crazy stuff. It's for, it's for weird people. In reality, these were the understandings of the time of the individuals in which lived through the periods in which the schools were created. And we spend a large amount of our time and resources in today's culture, cataloging it, researching it, studying it. They knew more than what we believe they knew. That's what it comes down to. Everything I've ever studied shows whatever ancient humans knew, it is far greater than we give them credit for. And there is some disservice to current current ways in which we look at it. If you, if you go look at someone like Graham Hancock, who has you know, gone back and looked at all of these historical records and worked with geologists to, you know, figure out categorical age dating of, you know, when civilizations could have been, you know, around like, you know, Gobekli Tepe, um, the Snake Mountain, Ohio, and all the, you know, the Incas, all of these different cultural structures and really the actual geological record, how that differs from what, mainstream or the main doctrine currently of academia saying actually exists. It is my personal opinion. And again, I'm just an idiot on the internet, do your own research, go look into the URLs, make your own opinion. It is my opinion that a lot of true history has been hidden. Um, a lot of true history has either been, it could have just been lost were set aside. And some of that do, does come from the initiation cycles that these mystery schools uh, incurred or had in place. So before I go too much farther into that vein, let's look at some of the specific things and how they've kind of progressed and how maybe, you know, one could go about looking into the mystery schools without going and getting themselves initiated into a secret society of sorts. I will say up front, I was, I was initiated into the, the Freemasons. I w I'm a, I'm a third degree Mason. Um, I am no longer a practicing Mason. I was never really a practicing Mason. Um, but I did join the Freemasons. I joined for my own personal reasons. Um, a lot of that was to attain knowledge and that was a vector to do so. I personally don't have anything against the Masons, nor do they have anything against me. I left on good accord. I have a letter to prove it. Um, but Masonry wasn't for me. Is Masonry for everybody? Absolutely not. Obviously, they don't allow women in. Well, that eliminates a large piece of the population. There are female Masonic groups, though. That's something that's not really known. Uh, specifically in the UK, if you're a female, you can go join a Masonic group. That That is a possibility. What is Freemasonry, though? That's a complicated, dangerous question. Um, 
will I give up the secrets of Freemasonry? Sure. There's not a lot of them to give up, to be honest. Um, Masonry in my eyes has degraded greatly from what it was and also from what it could have been. Um, in my eyes, Masonry is an indoctrination system and at the lowest echelon, it's just a group of guys meeting in lodge fraternally. Uh, it, it's a way for males to hang out with other males and have, you know, male like conversations, some good, some bad. The lodge that I was particularly a part of had some very interesting, very caring, very awesome people. Um, the person who got me in there and the person I joined with very good friends of mine. Um, the individual got me into masonry uh, passed away not long after I joined, uh, the lodge and I was there to see the, what I would consider the true nature of Freemasonry and the truest nature of Freemasonry is that fraternal brotherhood. And it only exists individually in the lodge and nowhere outside of that. No other member from another lodge knew I existed or cared really. And I met at the grand lodge of PA. That's where I went to do Freemasonry. Like that's where I met at the grand lodge down in the city, an amazing building full of amazing architecture. If you want to go take a tour, I highly recommend it. Multiple lodges meet there. Did I know anyone from the other lodges? No. If I was in distress and they were out and about, would they have helped me? Yes. That's part of Freemasonry. That's part of the system is you take oaths to help each other. The process of becoming a Freemason is secret for a reason because it's deeply ingrained in creating a more expressive male. That's what the first three degrees of Masonry really do is they are, I will never give away what those degrees entail is specifically because it's an experience for one to have if that's what they're seeking. That being said, I would never have continued with Freemasonry because I don't believe in their upper echelon. The upper echelon I found to be a rooting out system. They were looking for indoctrination. They were creating a system in which people were above you. And they say everyone's all equal. That's not true. They don't treat it that way. That's not how it was presented to me. The people above me were above me and I were to obey them and to follow them and to reverence them. And I don't believe in any of that shit. No one is above anyone else. We're all just equal. You can have reverence for someone else, You, but it should never be, no one should ever require reverence from you. No one should ever require that you respect them just due to position and power. That's all bullshit. And that is the upper echelon of Freemasonry. So I'm no longer a Mason. That's how that works. Not to get stuck in that idea, inside of Freemasonry, we have other schools. You have the Knights Templar, that's part of Masonry. Um, the Illuminati has a connection to and are some of these systems probably nefarious? Absolutely. That's what oligarchies are. And in my own personal opinion, America has solely become an oligarchy. The small have power over the many. That's what an oligarchy is defined as. Democracy is defined the opposite. So you choose which we've become. But anyway, these schools specifically come from the idea of initiation. And that's a big part of the mystery schools. So in the traditional aspects, 
you would have the priesthood, which is where initiation, you would get initiated in the priesthood. And unfortunately, yes, this was kept to most male bodies. Is that bullshit? Absolutely. Do I agree with it? No fucking way. It should all be gone away with, and it should be free to everybody. I, that's how I feel about all mystery schools. Some have done that. Golden Dawn, Rosicrucianism, there's, they definitely allowed females in. Um, the Gnostic societies, hell no, they didn't. So fuck them. But no, I'm, that's not how, that's not true in that sense. But that's how I personally feel about it. If you don't want to let everybody in, well, you can go fuck yourself at this point. But these these upper, let's consider, let's consider them mid-tier. They all required what's called initiation. And initiation was, again, some sort of ritual or, you know, I went through the first three rituals to become a, a complete, a third degree master mason. And again, I'll say, do I believe in the ritual aspect in that sense when it comes to the personal experience? Absolutely. That's why I won't tell you what happens in those first three degrees. Because it advanced my mind and it was an experience that I'm, I'm happy to have had or glad to have had. Um, the experience of getting initiated was interesting and it, it, it did make me a better person in some ways, uh, specifically going from an introvert into that situation. And I, I've, I've anecdotally heard that just about throughout. Again, though, upper echelons, completely different. I really can't speak to them because I saw it and I was like, nope, not for me. The politic bullshit and all this other stuff, not for me, not my style. So I have a feeling, and I've heard this anecdotally from people in the Knights Templar, people in the Skull and Bones, that's, that's what you get at the upper level. And that's why a lot of people, quote unquote, flunk out at the lower levels because they see that and they don't want to be a part of it. And that's what they want. They want that. And that's actually written throughout the mystery schools as a whole, that the initiation process is there to eliminate those individuals that aren't going to kind of go with the status quo. That's what they're looking for. And the reason they were looking for that, if you, if you read like the great pyromander and those types of things is because apparently this knowledge was uh, the great pyromander was written by Hermes Trismegistus. That's where, you know, we have the saying, as above, so below. Uh, it's a very short read if you want to go read The Great Pyromander. But that initiation process, as written in the, the initi you know, the initiatory mystery schools, and don't get me twisted here, there are some religions that required initiation to become a part of as well, um, and some philosophical teachings. So that idea of initiation was apparently to guard the knowledge. That's why they did it. I have experience with this, not only through Freemasonry, but also in Shaolin martial arts. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But we have the initiatory schools, um, just about all of them were. And is that initiation ethical and moral? That's up for debate. Um, could this knowledge have destroyed some societies? Probably you know, given the time in which it was created. And that's really where, if you're going to delve into this, do I recommend getting initiated in any of the schools of mystery? I do not. Is there enough information out there that you can do a decent bit of research and study without 
being a part of the schools? Absolutely. In fact, I find a lot of the mystery schools are now kind of culminating into new schools. Um, I would hazard the, would I hazard this? Yes. I would hazard the statement of yoga as we find in the Western world is a new school of the mystery schools. And in my personal opinion, most yoga systems are incomplete. That's another topic, but not to say they're wrong, just incomplete. But it is in my personal, non-humble, stupid opinion, the fact that we have these new schools of thinking and thought and, and rationality and logic that have branched from the mystery schools because there's been a lot of people who looked at the mystery schools and went, yes, you have great amount of knowledge or at least interesting ideology or ideas of, you know, thought provoking conversation and possible factual evidence of certain different things, but the way you go about it's bullshit. So I support new mystery schools coming out. What the old schools would say about that. I have no idea. And I don't care. You know, if you really want to fight the fight of, Oh, Phil, you are a Freemason and you shouldn't be giving away Masonic secrets. I don't care. And no one else cares either. The only people who care are Masons at the highest levels. They're the only ones that give a shit because their organization falls apart. Once you get rid of it, the Masons used to say, we're a society where everyone says they're a secret society, but really they're just a society with secrets. Why? And we all know how much I hate why questions. So let's change it a little bit. How does that benefit anyone? It doesn't, it doesn't anymore. It really just doesn't. If you want to have a fraternal order that goes out and, you know, smokes cigars and drinks together and really doesn't get into anything other than that depth, then do that. Cause that was kind of my experience. I didn't really, get great depth out of it. I literally had to go to the Masonic library to get any deeper ideas. And you can find all that shit online nowadays. Specifically, if you really want to get into like the deep web, dark web, that's a whole loaded question and a loaded idea. Do your own fucking research on that one. Most of the hermetic Gnostic Masonic Rosicrucian writings can be found and, and can be acquired in PDF form nowadays. And you can do your own research that way. So again, I don't, don't recommend getting initiated, but I have been, and I've been through it. It's an interesting process. And, you know, for some people it's eye opening and, you know, you'll learn things, but let's get a little deeper here. So we have the initiation schools. And again, we have esoteric and exoteric. So, you know, as we're broadening the horizon here and we're, and we're pulling things apart, we have the esoteric, again, inward human looking, exoteric, extra, outside of human looking. And then we have the initiation schools, which required initiation. And those all trace lineage back to the Egyptian mystery schools and the priesthood of the Egyptian um, ideologies. And how, if you look back to canonical, non-canonical, anecdotal, all of these different things from the Egyptian mystery schools, there's a lot of avenue to say that's really where these things came to fruition. And those schools say that the initiation happened because they are exoteric. So you'll find most exoteric ideologies, religions, mystery schools, philosophical writings, the exoteric are 
typically initiatory. You must be initiated in order to learn them. And the initiation process is multifolded, and that's a requirement. You must continually be reinitiated by degrees or levels of understanding and measurement and those types of things. There's typically study and you know test-taking, study and test-taking in different forms or factors. In the Shaolin world, that's known as the belt system. To gain the exoteric side of Shaolin, you must be initiated into their format of teaching. It is wholly an esoteric system. That's where things get a little complicated. Typically, the esoteric systems are non-initiatory, but are completely self-driven and self-studied. Most of the Greek philosophical schools are esoteric by nature. Um, anyone could go learn Platonic, you know, philosophy. Anyone could go learn, you know, any number of the Greek schools of philosophy as long as they, they represented themselves in some fashion. Um, there's some anecdotal ideas. And I, I know I say anecdotal a lot, and I kind of have to because I don't have factual evidence of most of this. And I've kind of weeded out what I could and I'm left with, I use Greek retroduction, which is a part of the Greek schools of philosophy. And Greek retroduction, as I've talked about before, is when you have a infinite amount of plausibilities, you eliminate, well, I'm sorry, you have an infinite amount of uh, possibilities, you eliminate all non-plausible and are left with plausible, and then you eliminate all the, anything pretty much under 75% plausibility, you just kind of throw out the window, to be honest. And then you slowly narrow down the options to get some sort of semblance of the most plausible by percentage factor that could be true. And then you, uh, you take that, retroduct it down to that, and apply a logic to it to be left with hopefully one or two base options that are, are the most probably correct. And you kind of go off that. It, it works pretty well. So we have the esoteric the human system ideas. And this is where we find in the mystery schools, again, initiation, exoteric, non-initiatory is the esoteric. In the esoteric schools, specifically in the Greek philosophies, if we use those as an example, you just had to put in effort. An effort was really kind of like, you know, you could buy your way into the Platonic, you know, you could buy your way in front of Plato and he would, he would take gold coins or you could, could clean the um, forum. The forum was where they, you know, uh, we use that in, in current academia. A lecture hall is what would be known as a forum. So you would have a, an individual who would be teaching and they would stand in front of a group, typically on a tiered system. So everybody could kind of talk, you know, the Roman um, Senate was a forum. That idea is, is the, you know, is, that comes from a Greek teaching methodology. The interesting part about those forums, though, specifically in the Greek philosophies, is anyone could stand in front of the forum. The forum is a, a dual teaching structure. You may be the most expert at it, 
which means you would be the one instructing, but the forum could call you out on anything. And anytime, you know, someone could stop Plato or Socrates or, you know, some of the, the great Greek philosophers in the forum and make them defend what they're saying. That was part of the forum atmosphere is the, you're as a student, again, in the esoteric, the, the looking inside of the human for the answers of the systematic massive scale mysteries, you could call anyone out at any time. That was part of putting in effort. If you felt the individual wasn't explaining things correctly, or you felt that they weren't uh, correct, you could stop the lecture and say like, hey, defend your point, or, and you, you could debate. That's where debate comes from. So that is, so we have upper level, we have the mystery schools, religions, philosophies, all that stuff. We have esoteric and exoteric. Most religions fall under the exo exoteric. And yes, there is initiation to most religions. Some religions have done away with the exoteric and made themselves esoteric. And there's a reason for this. When we go deeper through the mystery schools, we, again, come to correlation of, of new schools that have kind of popped up and created themselves. And I'll get into those in a couple minutes here. But we have, we have branches. So we have, you know, the Greek, the Egyptian, we have the Eastern schools and the Western schools. We have um, the Buddhist schools. If, you know, inside the, we have that whole set. And then we have, that's the mystery schools as well as philosophical schools and also religions. Let's look at one that kind of seeps throughout all Buddhism. Buddhism is by grand nature, a mystery school. It is also a set of philosophical teachings, teachings known as the canonical writings. And also when added with spiritualism, we get spiritual Buddhism. So it becomes a religion. Buddhism covers the whole gambit. It was a mystery school. Uh, specifically, it comes from, you know, the Brahmin teachings, which were initiated teachings. We have the Brahmins, which are a higher order, uh, and then also had a priesthood to it that you needed to be initiated into. Then you have the Buddha or Bodhisattva, who leaves the Brahmins and takes that to, you know, takes that east the teachings from that school system and then applies it into the Eastern minds. And we're left with Buddhism. And then we add, so we have the canonical records, the social structure teachings of Buddhism. But then we add spiritualism to that exoteric, that consciousness is inside of the human, but a greater intelligence and or other intelligence exists outside of the human or inside of a different planar structure. And we get the exoteric side of Buddhism, which is spiritual. Why is this all important? The mystery schools are where a lot of human effort has been put. In my personal opinion, just about everyone can gain some more clarity, self-awareness, or understanding of mental health 
just understanding of yourself by getting into the deep mysteries, which is what these schools, religions, and philosophies were all designed to help explain, or at least make you think about it a different perspective or perception, as you know, I talked about in the last episode, and to shape what we consider the human reality. Could it be exoteric? Could it be that there is some grand intelligence that created us and did some DNA manipulation and left us here on this planet? Sure, it's plausible. I wouldn't say it's not plausible. Could there be a differentiation in the history that we're taught today that would lead us to representations of the Atlanteans or the Luminarians? Absolutely. Go ask Graham Hancock. He did a fantastic uh, expose on who the Atlanteans could have been and where they could have been located. That exists. Go watch it. It's very interesting. Am I saying any of this is absolutely 100% true? No, we just don't know, which is kind of where the mystery schools work. They work in the unknown. The whole idea of Star Trek is based on the fantastical ideas of Gene Roddenberry and what could have been unknown. And then the whole set of writers that have come out since then and written for Star Trek episodes, including even into the new stuff. Um, why aren't we, why isn't that our goal? Ultimately as humanity, why don't, why don't we look at Star Trek and go, yeah, we should fucking do that. That's amazing. Why have, why haven't we collectively come together to do that? The mystery schools would push us apart and together at the same time. And this is why I'm talking about the differentiation of the esoteric versus the exoteric and the initiatory versus the non-initiatory. And there's a middle ground now too of, you know, non-initiatory, but behind a paywall. And that's where I feel modern society has failed the most is we've put in some of the greatest pieces of knowledge in the human history, in human history, behind a paywall. And then the little that is left to be disseminated is just fucked with to an umpteenth degree. You know, I had to join the Masons to get access to a library that I later found I could get access to be it through very hard and meticulous channels to find out that some of the information that we have been given is just, it's just bullshit. To be honest, it's just lies. We've been lied to. I can, I can wholeheartedly, 100%, through Greek retroduction, fact, and all trajectories and vectors, tell you, you've been lied to. And the mystery schools did part of it. The separation that, for some reason, there is a hierarchical idea of some people deserve knowledge and others don't, started in the mystery schools. And that's why, you know, I might quote them a lot and I might talk about them a lot. And I certainly use them to delve into mental health and self-awareness. I don't necessarily agree with their methods. That's what I think a lot of people, um, a lot of people get, get stuck on the idea that if you get involved in the mystery schools, you're somehow, you know, prescribing to their methodologies. And that's not true. 
it's so untrue that I want people to get involved in the mystery schools to break down that structure, to bring out real information, real true human, human history, real true knowledge. And does this sound a little bit conspiratory? Sure. Anytime you talk about the Illuminati, people think conspiracies. Anytime you talk about skull and bones, people think, you know, conspiracies or secret societies in general. Are these societies secret? No, the Masons taught me that. They're just societies with secrets. Are there true secret societies out there? Yes. Do I have a specific name to give you? No, because they wouldn't share it with me. There's secret societies inside of these little, you know, non-secret societies that just require initiation. There's secret societies in your daily life. Your friends group probably has a little mini secret society in that that maybe you're a part of but excludes others. It's exclusivity. The mystery schools are the propagation of exclusivity. And I don't think we need that structure anymore. In fact, that's the whole argument behind inclusiveness for everyone to be included. If you want to leave racism behind, leave the mystery schools behind. Open up knowledge to everyone. Allow everyone to have a proper education and not just some bullshit indoctrinated Western ideology education where you have in today's society, radical people trying to create more radical people and doing so because they, you know, went and got their four-year degree to become a teacher and decided to be an asshole. I'm not saying all teachers are that. In fact, most teachers I consider pirates, as I've talked about in, you know, the education episode back in uh, episode number two about how there's pirates out there in the education system teaching real true knowledge and real true self-awareness and understanding and vectors for gaining true knowledge and wisdom against what the mainstream or the academic world wants them to do. Academia is broken. I'm here to tell you that the mystery schools were a part of the breaking of it. When we decided to disseminate knowledge to some and not others, we created control structures. And that's why it's important not to just bulk over, you know, or just huff over the mystery schools. There's true knowledge there. There's true wisdom there. There's also an understanding that, no, this isn't okay. It's not okay to disseminate information to some and not all. Should some information be kept secret? Probably. Is that true for the majority of information? No. Should the governments keep secret if there are alien, you know, encounters? No. Just, just no. Because by doing so, they have put out the absolute verdict that they are better than you, that they think they know more than you, and that you are somehow less because that's what they decided. That is my biggest problem with the mystery schools, and that's why I delved so deep into getting into them. Technically, I became a Freemason to kind of root out the idea of like, is this, is this legit shit? Like, what's going on here? Were they probably pissed off about that in the end? Sure. Did it really matter because I didn't get to the upper echelon? No. Do any of them probably say any ill will against me? Probably not. Doesn't any of it matter? Absolutely fucking not. The reality is I joined to get answers. Did I get a lot of answers? No, they didn't have them. Or at least I wasn't willing to go through the bullshit to get them. And beyond that, the answers that I did get, I could have gotten through different avenues. So are the mystery schools important? 
Yes, they are history. They are specifically the history of impeding knowledge through initiation. Are we getting away from that a little bit? Absolutely. So as I talked about, we have, you know, nations, Rosicrucians, Golden Dawn, um, Gnostics, Hermetics. A lot of that is open to research now. You can go look at the Hermetic writings. Fascinating stuff. Uh, specifically, the Hermetic writings in the Egyptian mystery schools, they go hand in hand. They're, they come from the same methodologies and same um, presentation structures. Did they once require initiation? Now they really don't because you can go get a hold of it. Yeah, for the most part. Stoicism, by some accord, is its own school involved in that. It's slightly hermetic, slightly Gnostic. There are different pieces of that that go into it. Gnosticism um, gets into what some would consider true Christianity uh, and shows the combination of how pagan structures ended up in Christian practice and pagan structures actually ended up in a lot of different religious practice, but also how something like the Golden Dawn and Rosicrucianism have evolved. You can go look at that. I'll come back to Gnosticism and Hermetics when we get, I'm going to talk about sacred geometry here in a second. But uh, if you want to look at the progression of how Rosicrucianism has moved into modern day society, go look at bio, uh, biogeometry. Uh, Dr. Abraham Kalim, Abraham Kareem, Kalim, Kareem, um, from Egypt. He's an Egypt, uh, doctor in Egypt. He was an archeologist and an architect um, and he created the system known as biogeometry. He created biogeometry through the Rosicrucian study, through the practices of Rosicrucianism. He wasn't a Rosicrucian. He came across Rosicrucian text, which allowed him to then create biogeometry using architecture, archaeology, scientific research. It's a fascinating study about how energy works specifically in biogeometric um, symbolization, the bioluminescent field of the human body, how we interact with RF signals, UHF, uh, what would be considered uh, electronic radiation, EM EMF, and some of the work he's done and the biogeometry world has done. Fascinating shit. Go check it out. That's one upgrade from Rosicrucianism. What you should know about Rosicrucianism and what they use in biogeometry is Rosicrucianism taught dowsing um, and pendulum um, pendulum reading. And specifically, there's a lot of in the mystery schools of like old school ways of survival. Anyone who's ever seen or gone out and done water dowsing with two copper rods, that was taught in the mystery schools. That was part of survival. It was part of the priesthood to know how to use the divining rods, divinity here, divining rods to find water sources. And if you get into biogeometry further, you'll note that when two underground water sources uh, cross, it creates a certain biosignature. It, it creates a certain energy signature that resonates. And most places of religious worship were built upon these places. And if you look at the bioelectric field of the human body and how it represents itself in that area, um, 
it gets into a whole world of things that we don't really talk about much, but actually do have real basis. And that's why I think the mystery schools are important to get into because it kind of, if you truly delve into them, it gets a little bit, it gets rid of some of the stigmatism that goes along with things like astrology, uh, tarot reading, um, what, you know, universal ley lines, magic, it, it can get rid of some of the stigmatism there and allow you to do some interesting research and maybe open up your belief structures a bit to be like, wow, okay, you know, I'm really into this or like this is giving me a new definition of myself. Specifically in today's society, there is a massive resurgence of the Wiccan community and the pagan communities and it has done a lot for people's mental health and self-awareness by getting into those, what they feel is true to their soul or true to their nature or true to their heritage practices. Fascinating. Another one of those is reshaping itself now, and that's sacred geometry. Sacred geometry is part of most of the mystery schools. In fact, almost every mystery school and in some religions and a lot of philosophical teachings, specifically Platonic math and those types of things, gets into math as a language. Well, that's what sacred geometry represents, is math as a language. And I'm, I'm being short-handed here, but that's essentially the idea. And that comes from the Gnostic and Hermetic schools and some of the teachings there, specifically the Hermetic side and how sacred geometry comes along with that. And as I, you know, I talked about Graham Hancock, um, there's currently an individual who I'm probably going to have to look up, um, but he does uh, sacred geometry. And that idea that those new, the newer teachings come from the older teachings and the older teachings are actually changing themselves are super important. Um, Russell, I can't remember his name, Russell, I'll, I'll come up with it. But um, we have people now, again, coming out with new, just new ways of teaching old knowledge. Sacred geometry is not a new thing, but we are teaching it now. And that idea is super important. That idea that we're going to move into just a new way of teaching, a new way of representing these real, real I don't want to say real forms of knowledge, but real forms of thinking, real forms of ways of, of using our mental landscape. Again, like I talked about last episode, perspective and perception and how that really is the true history of humanity and how I say we've been lied to. These things have been kept from us. Just the fact that the esoteric schools exist, it's, it's been hidden through initiation. And someone drew a line between what they considered the plebs and the, the riffraff and the higher societies. And that's known as oligarchiness. That's where monarchies come from. That's where the power elite come from. That somehow a divine system gave them power over humanity made them somehow better. Maybe that's true. Maybe I'm wrong. 
I don't think I am. And I think it's kind of bullshit that we propagate this specifically in Western society, but they've done so in Eastern society for a really long time. So I mentioned Shaolin and I'm still trying to remember the name of that individual. It will come to me eventually, but um, that specific, that specific idea of somehow there was a divine ruling, right? That, that has been present through humanity for a very long time. Um, specifically when we look at the Eastern religions and their practices, they're very spiritual by nature. And not only are they spiritual by nature, but that spiritual nature got placed into their ruling class. And we've seen that also in, um, you know, European history with the monarchies and those types of things and how the church and state go together and how apparently America was to defeat that, but has really come back towards it. Those, those are the reasons, again, I think it's important for us to study the mystery schools because it really shines a light on the fact that that happened. That really actually happened. Like that specific that specific idea of divine right needs to be challenged. As I say, challenge everything, question everything, always hold your choices in your own hand and fight against people who want to take it away from you. Hold your perspective in your hand and fight against, against anyone who wants to take that away from you. That's important because that's specifically what the mystery schools did to begin with. And I can't, I'm, I'm trying to think of that individual's name and I can't, uh, Graham Hancock and Russell something and I, I or something Russell, uh, he's a geologist, but he does sacred geometry now. So I'll just leave it at that and move on. But if we go even farther back, we can, you know, not only just in the Eastern, in you know, European, there are many cultural and societal structures that have been placed due to the fact that someone thought they had divine right. And it's no big secret that I'm against organized religion. And one of the reasons I'm against organized religion is because there is a definition of the priesthood in most religions that say that the priesthood is above you, that they have divine right and they are divinity or the source of divinity and how we speak into it. And that's exoteric. The reality is a lot of these structures came from astrology. And if we look at the astrological organization, which is one of the things the mystery schools teach and is absolutely inherent in, mas in masonry. I can tell you this, uh, and uh, the Illuminati and Knights Templars, Columbians, Rosicrucians, just about all of them have some sort of teaching of astrology. They even teach tarot in most of them or, uh, divining of some sort, you know, be it through tarot or, uh, pendular reading, um, in the North, Norse mythologies, you know, there was the casting of runes. There's always been some sort of divining idea, uh, divining for water, water divining, you know, those types of things. It's, it's human nature to be curious about what could be coming. You know, Nostradamus, there's, there's one right there. If you want to go look at that, but I digress back to the major topic here. We should Learn about the mystery schools to challenge the idea that there is somehow a way in which we are not rightfully 
given knowledge or information that somehow we do not have rights to it. We need to break those structures down specifically in just, you know, as above, so below specifically in the mental health and self-awareness position, you must break down the idea that you don't have control or you are not allowed to have the information to, to better oneself that get rid of that idea. If someone has encapsulated you in the idea that you do not deserve some sort of knowledge or self-awareness or something along those lines. Nope. Fuck that. You absolutely deserve it. And you absolutely have a right to it. That's what's known as Liberty. That's what's known as freedom. That's what's known as that is the true idea of divine nature. One of the reasons I, I was raised in a Christian house for the most part. I've given, I, I can't say sermons cause I'm not a priest. So I never give a sermon, but I've spoken in churches. I've studied Christianity. I've studied Islam. I've studied Judaism. Uh, I've studied Jainism. I've studied a lot of world religions. I found commonality in all of them. I found separation in some of them. Um, there's definitely some bullshit out there as far as what people will tell you are part of religions that aren't really a part of them. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be religious. I'm not saying you shouldn't have faith. I am saying that you should not give that control to someone else. You should not believe people that say they are divine by nature. You should go read the text yourself, go practice the faith or religion yourself and make up your own fucking mind. That's the important part. Specifically, let's take two, two pieces. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into Judaism because it's, it's super complicated in some ways. And there's a lot there to unpack. And they're fairly logically minded. So there's not a lot of holes to find if you go looking for them. And a lot of um, mystery schools are based off of Judaistic um, methodologies or structures, uh, specifically the Yatsara and um, some of the, the ancient texts when it comes to the, uh, let's just call it the canonical writings. When you look at those, like, the names for God and they use math to create an alphabet. It, a lot of mystery schools, use the whole, all Kabbalistic, uh, the whole school of Kabbalism, the mystery school that is Kabbalistic, which does not require initiation, but could require initiation. It's kind of a dual fold. You know, if you want to go a certain level, you must practice it, but you can get enough information on Kabbalism to get pretty far without being initiated in any way that all comes from their sacred texts and it's oh so fascinating and really a mind fuck and a mind opener a great one to get into um if i had to pick a religion i'm probably leaning towards judaism although they have some pieces that i i, I just don't agree with and in some ways i'm not judaic by by right in some ways i will say that so can't really fully go into their, like they are a belief of a people. Not that anyone couldn't be part of that, but they really are a belief of a people, which is true for most religions by, by definition. Like people can, I've said this before, people consider Hinduism a religion. It's not, it's just the way of the Hindu people. Okay. So could I be Hinduist? Could I be into Hinduism? I mean, I can research and I can study it, but I'm not Hindu. 
So I can't really fully be, you know, that's why it's not really religion. And in some ways I don't consider Judaism. Anytime there's an ism involved, I, I don't consider that a, a possibility for me simply for the fact that that is the way of that people. It is culturally, culturally ingrained. So there is a, a different separation there. Again, I digress. Let's get into the two pieces of religion that I can wholeheartedly argue and that are disseminated lies. I'm going to start with one of the big ones off the bat and get people pissed off because, well, come get triggered on the Taming Hindrances podcast, as we say in the introduction. Islam. If you believe in Sharia law, you do not believe in true Islam. Sharia law is not a part of true Islam. It was never part of true Islam. It was wholly fabricated and absolute fucking bullshit. That's what the Taliban believes in. That's what ISIS believes in. That's what all of these radical organizations of Islam believe in. Sharia law. Sharia law is fucked up. And you should go look into it to figure out why we should be against those types of teachings. Sharia law is all about burning knowledge, not allowing women rights. It systematically gets into defeating a populace to be ruled by male assholes. That's what Sharia law defines. Go look it up. Most practicing Muslims in the United States of America don't believe in Sharia law. That's why they live in America. That's a thing. That is what a huge amount of holy war was fought over, was that idea that Sharia law shouldn't exist. Look into the history of Sharia law, how it's absolute bullshit. There's an entire group of people known as the, as the Sikhs who will stand against someone in open combat on the street if they meet them and try are defined by Sharia law. A Sikh will fight you. That's what they believe. Sikhs are awesome people. Go study the Sikhs because awesome people. Again, I'm going to try to try to digress a little bit, not get too heated on this one. Let's move on to Christianity, one I know a little bit more about. Again, raised Christian, studied Christianity, almost went into being, you know, priesthood, um, when I was thinking about joining the military, I was going to go be a chapel. Um, anyway, the idea of Christianity has been twisted, miraculously twisted, actually, and not really taught um, in full effect. Specifically, I was raised to be Mennonite, and the Mennonites are taught that they have to work for salvation. And that's not a new thing. That actually comes from Judaism. Um, which is why most Jews will be of service. You know, it's kind of, you are to be of service. Um, even some Islam, um, the Sikhs, like I just said, there is this belief to be of service. So the Mennonites believe to be of service, but they twist it a little bit and, and whatever. Um, through my studies, that's how I started into Christianity. And then I've, I've kind of studied all the different branches and there are different ways of interpreting the text. That's true to all philosophical ideas. All the mystery schools can be interpreted differently. All philosophical teachings can be your own interpretation. That's the magic of perspective and perception. That's the magic of creating your own reality through your education, your belief, your languages, your relationships, your choices and your change of the things we've talked about so far in the podcast. So in Christianity, there's an idea and I came across this through uh, research into the mystery schools that one 
is necessitory to commit their sins to the church to be forgiven? Well, in fact, the canonical writings of Christianity between the Old School, the Old Testament and the New Testament tell you that's bullshit. And here's why. The story, I'll call it a story, of Jesus involves an individual being put on a cross by the Roman Empire for numerous reasons, but an individual known as Jesus is put on a cross and crucified. That individual is then taken from the cross, wrapped in the shawl that he's wrapped in, to, or what's known as the veil. He's Specifically, he's wrapped in a veil from the church, and I'll get into what why that's important here in a second. So, wrapped in the veil, placed in a tomb, miraculously comes back to life, walks out of the tomb. The veil is left behind torn and stained with his blood. Probably the most important part of the whole Jesus story is he was buried in a tomb with the veil from the local church. When he arises from that tomb, the veil is torn because he has to tear it off himself because he's wrapped in it. So he has to tear it off himself and is stained with his blood. And this is the complete and total story of why Jesus died for your sins. In Christian community, when they say Jesus died for your sins, this is why. That veil was used in the church to separate the altar from the people. So when you go into a church, and again, I've talked about how most churches are built on these ley lines, which are intercrossing or connecting bodies of water underneath the earth. You can go look at that. It's fascinating. When you go into the church back in ancient times, which might not be so ancient if we maybe get true history to come out. When you go into the church back then, there was this veil. Okay, so what you would do is you would go into the church. Remember, Old Testament exists, not New Testament. You go into the church and there's this veil. The veil separates you. So if, you, like, if you've ever been in a church and there's pews and then there's an altar, there would be a, a sheet. Let's just call it a sheet for sake of, you know, mental image here, a veil, a cloth that separates you from seeing the altar. You can't even see the altar. All you see is like maybe some pews or maybe there's no pews. There's just, you know, an aisle. And at the end of that aisle, there's an individual known as the priest. And the priest is there to collect your sins, take them to God and ask for your forgiveness. Important fact here. So the priest would hear the sins of the individual or the gripes of the individual, or, you know, whatever the individual needed to, confess to God or their God and then would step underneath the veil, progress that, profess that sins or that information to their almighty. And then a couple things might happen. If the priest was struck down by lightning, you were not forgiven and that person died for you and you must repent for your ways specifically by ordering yourself to become into the priesthood and thus replacing that priest. Or you were forgiven, nothing would happen, priest would come back out, and there was a certain amount of things that you should do to repent, some sort of repentance. Or in some cases, the priest were, would fall to some sort of illness in that moment, and that would be a representation of you've done some heinous shit, 
and the priest has suffered for you, and now you must now suffer for the priest, and they will tell you how. That was all done away when the veil was torn. That is the representation of Jesus's re-rising, is that he tore the veil from him and bled onto it, and thus the veil was torn and sealed with the blood of Christ. The bloody, torn veil. What does that mean? It means now, when you walk in the church, you can see the altar, and you can profess your sins directly to God. There is no no more middleman, no more in between, no more gold shekels, no more bribing, none of that bullshit. It's all gone. Well, what did the Catholic Church do with that? They said, "Fuck no, we need this system in place." So they invented the pews, uh, the uh, confessional system. The confessional system is Old Testament. It does not represent the idea that Jesus died for the Christian person's sins. That's the story. Go look it up. I've read a fuck ton about it. If you're a Christian individual and you believe that you have to profess your sins to a priest to be forgiven or be told how to repent, you are incorrect by nature of the canonical writings, in my humble opinion. I guess maybe it's not so humble because I'm like flat out telling you that's not how it's written. Not many Christian communities believe that. Some Protestants, some New Age, a couple of Mennonites I've met. Um, no Catholic I've ever met, obviously, for reasons. Um, so yeah, that's that's the history. Was there really a person named Jesus? Did he die and re-arise? Who knows? But the writing, that specific story is designed to represent you know, you could just go, you could just be sitting in your house in your fucking underwear and, you know, you hit your dog and you were like, oh, fuck, I should not treat, you know, animals as a lesser and I should, you know, okay. Hey God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I won't do that again. That was, that's the whole, that's the whole thing right there. Or if you go even farther, where one or two in my name gather, I shall be there. That, well, that means we don't need a church anymore. Again, New Testament, a lot of changes. Not a lot of people recognize that though. Um, one last piece, the Christian book of Revelations and the Judaistic writings of Revelations. Very interesting how they kind of, yeah, they equal out anyway. And how a lot of mystery schools use those Revelation teachings in things that they teach. So again, there is all of this knowledge and all of this history that has everything to do in, about humanity stuck inside these mystery schools that maybe has been hidden, maybe has been kept from us. You know, uh, we were talking, I was talking about how, you know, sacred geometry is coming out, biogeometry came out. There are new hermetic teachings and schools of thought that are coming out. Uh, my learnings of Shaolin were a whole whirlwind of learning about how the history of the Shaolin temples was hidden and, you know, the Manchus hid that. The CCP continues to this day and how the Shaolin system itself is in full effect and was at that time in full effect um, in, I don't want to say, they, I mean, they certainly held the Ming Dynasty in reverence, but essentially, I mean, they were loyal to the Ming Dynasty. And that comes from their esoteric practice had exoteric methodology. All 
all, all of China's belief in its, in that time period was based in, and, and still to this day in some ways is based in, although it's been fucking manipulated to all hell, divine ruling right. Interestingly enough, though, the divine ruling right that the Chinese emperors used throughout their entire, the Qing dynasty, Ming dynasty, all the dynasties, even though they warred over it, and if you've never looked into the the warring, the three, uh, three kingdoms warring age of China, it's very fascinating. Um, if you thought, you know, the French Revolution and all that shit gets crazy, the three kingdoms period in China gets pretty crazy too. Um, that divine ruling nature had its own checks and balances, which is, is a fascinating idea that although the, the idea was there that the, the monarchy had divine right to rule, that divinity was checked by the idea that that individual must answer to what's considered their pantheon um, in Chinese spiritual culture. The, the Jade Emperor was to, it gets really complicated, but essentially you had the individual as a Jade Emperor and that em Emperor answered to the Golden Emperor um, who was on the, on the mountain um, and part of the, the golden pantheon and they had the lotus flowers and it's interesting stuff. Go read about it. But again, coming back a little bit, there are umpteen reasons the mystery schools are important. And that's why I bring them up because that's how I studied things. The Shaolin mystery schools and the esoteric and exoteric ideas specifically found in Tai Chi as a practice, both esoterically and exoterically, led me into some of the things I've already shared when I talked about the Tai Chi diagram, five elements um, system for Chinese traditional medicine. All of this comes from those schools. The Shaolin schools have just disseminated themselves so far because they had to. They were one of the rare school mystery schools that literally had to disseminate the information or they would have lost it. That's what happens when the Manchus invaded China and destroyed the Northern Temple and then all had to migrate to the Southern Temple and there was a Western and an Eastern Temple. And then because the Manchus outlawed martial practice, they had to disseminate it somehow. They used the Cantonese opera system and the flags of, you know, the Cantonese opera. And I, maybe I can get into that into another time. But there was also the idea that the Shaolin methodologies and those mystery schools were loyal to, at that time, would have been the Ming Dynasty. And they were loyal to the dynasties before that, but they really liked the Ming Dynasty because that was a golden age in China when the Ming Emperor empress ruled over China, they flourished and people were taken care of. And yes, there was corruption and some greed and all that stuff. But generally, most people consider the Ming dynasty one of the greatest dynasties to, to rule the people and the people themselves agreed upon that. So when we look at human history and we look at culture, specifically today's societal cultures, we need to understand the mystery schools and the mysteries themselves because that's true human knowledge. It is the entire study of humanity as a consciousness, both individually, esoteric, and collectively, exoteric. 
Because if we were to collectively put our, our mentality together, we would be exoteric. We would be a new higher intelligence. And like I said about Star Trek, why aren't we seeking that? Why aren't we pushing for that level of interaction, human understanding and fruition? And instead we're fighting stupid, pointless wars, inventing bigger and larger ways to kill each other coming up with more pettier and pettier differences to separate us apart. The mystery schools teach against that actually. Specifically what I can tell you is in the Mason's lodge, there is no political talk. You're not allowed. You can be removed from lodge by talking about politics. And beyond that, if you get in too far into cultural, you know, things, you can be asked to leave Lodge and then actually physically be removed from Lodge if necessary. They limit that. And I'm not saying that that's, you know, the right practice, but when they're, when they are, when Lodge is being held and they are doing what's called, they're called work, they leave all those things behind. And instead they use logic and hierarchical representation. And there's, everyone can speak and anyone's allowed to speak, but there's a discord and a form and a way to go about that. There's rules. And it's important that those things are in structured place and it works really well. I've been a part of lodge discussions. I've been a part of lodge meetings. Do politics get involved? Absolutely. Humans are tribal by nature. You have your own little tribe. Me, I'm a tribe of one. That's what I do. And maybe if you're listening to the podcast now, you're part of my tribe and I appreciate that. So that's why I get into the mystery schools because that's the way I learned these things. That's the way I think other people can learn things. And there's a lot of self-awareness and mental health aspects involved. You know, almost all of the mystery schools have some sort of basis in getting an individual to present what they truly believe and give them options there too. The Masons do not require you to be religious. They do believe you, you do have a requirement a requirement to believe in a higher power. That higher power can be a fucking chair. If you think it's more intelligent and a higher power than you are, it's actually from the mystery schools where we get some of the stuff like in today's AA alcoholic anonymous, they take some of those things from the mystery schools that you have to believe in a higher power. You have to believe to be in service. These are structures based on creating civilizations and creating cultures, creating societies. The real deeper levels of understanding of the systems that combine humans are where the mystery schools really came from. If some of the writing is to be believed, you know, if we, I'm going all the way back to the beginning now of Thoth and Hermes Trismegistus, that representation also is based on the representation of the divine intervention into human surviving. Man was given fire. Some religions, most religions, some philosophical schools, most philosophical schools, some mystery schools, most mystery schools, most of these things say that man was given fire. We didn't invent it. We didn't learn it. It was a divine intervention. Some tribes say that technology was given to or that humans were supplanted and put here based on another higher intelligence whims. That idea is, is fully ingrained 
into the idea that humans couldn't survive without technology. We need technology to survive. If it gets too cold, we die. We need technology to keep ourselves warm. If it gets too hot, we die. We need technologies to keep ourselves cold or to travel or, to, you know, we require technology to live. In some ways, we are a technology. So the origination of the mystery schools explained where humans got fire, how to create fire. A priest was taught how to, how to you know, make a fire. It's part of keeping the brazers lit. Keeping the altar of flame lit. Then it gets into the, you know, esoteric idea of, you know, that, that altar of the flame or the flame itself must be lit inside of oneself. There's so many different deep philosophical, theosophical, all these different amazing teachings. And that's why I use representation of the mystery schools. And that's why I think it's important for us to study and that we should continue to do so. And I think we, we will do so coming in the future. I think it's now that we're moving into the age of Aquarius and we're moving into the age of the individual's knowledge and wisdom seeking, I think more people will be looking towards these things. And that's why I, I kind of wanted to put this out there that we must be careful when we get into the organization and the indoctrination and the initiation of the mystery schools. It is not to say that we should just wholly write them off. We do need them to understand things better. It's just time that we break down the walls of initiation, break down the walls of indoctrination, break down the walls, separating the individual from the vast amount of knowledge and maybe true history that is out there. So as always, I like to ask questions. What do you think about the mystery schools? How do you think they could change the way you think about something? Would you be interested in, in joining a mystery school or studying them further? What philosophical ideas have really shaped your mind or do you use as a fallback? I use Greek retroduction. What might you use? Have you ever studied philosophy? Do you have a religious belief? You know, these are the grander ways of thinking about things, but we can use them to really reflect on ourselves. And as I talked about last time about, you know, really garnering a true perspective for yourself and, and holding on to that tightly and not allowing someone else to take it from you. I think the mystery schools could be a place to maybe find some of the answers you might be looking for, or at least just to get a better perspective, like I said before. So please go study the mystery schools, ask questions of mystery schools you might have. I've studied many of them. I continue to study them today. There are new ones coming out. There are old ones falling away. Specifically, um, I'll have to get into it at another time, but ether physics comes from the, all the mystery schools essentially followed the idea of etheric physics. And some might argue that etheric physics came or the understanding of etheric physics came from uh, the mystery schools and the whole Mickelson uh, was it Mickelson Morley experiment was kind of, it was designed to fail. Let's put it that way. And that, you know, getting back to etheric physics might be a better route for humanity because everything we've learned about quantum physics, we learned in the 1940s and 1950s and haven't really gained any more methodology since. And, you know, even that and then like sacred geometry and those types of things. So more that I will get into in the future, specifically getting into like ideas like astrology and tarot and how this all wraps into what I've talked about before, about how we are moving out of the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius and how that whole astrological idea is wrapped up into these mystery schools. And we use astrology 
generally in a lot of different places. The reason the Masons degrees are the way they are is because of how the representation of the degree boundaries for each astrological body is. And I'll leave you with this random tidbit here at the end. Astrology by nature is both esoteric and exoteric. We look at the astrological um, houses. You know, I, you know, someone was born in Pisces or a Sagittarius or a Ram or a Capricorn or, you know, someone was born in these different houses. Well, the houses are degree structure. Each one's 30 degrees and there's 12 of them. And when they first came around, when they were first um, divined or, you know, written down specifically by the Egyptians and other cultures, there was only 10. And there was, so there was the, the decohedron, there was the deco, the deco, the 10 based. And then they were split. There was two, one was split and added a separate one was added to give us 12, which gave us 30 degrees inclinations in the 360 degree rotation in which we look at the star system, you know, as we rotate and we look at each one in the houses and how that degree structure pervades further than into many other parts of the mystery schools. But when we look at the writings and how we base our astrological events, uh, specifically if we look at astrology for like divining, you know, what our astrological horoscope is and horoscopes by nature and those types of things, there is the esoteric, which is to look at where the sun is pointing its rays. And the exoteric is to look at where the sun is in the progression. So if we have, um, I might get these wrong. I apologize if I do, but if we have Pisces and Ram, I believe they're opposite on the spectrum. Um, we have, I should look this up, but I'm not going to. Anyway, if you take, um, just pick one side and then the opposite side, if you looked at the, if you look, all right, so if we just use like one of them, I'm an astrological this, here's the opposite over here. They cross because we have the 12 points we can just take one that crosses from each other. Anyway, the opposite. You can have the sun in the house of, you'll hear that, sun's in the house of this, or the sun's in the house of that. There's two ways to look at that. The esoteric way to look at that is that the sun itself is shining its light into, into this house. That is one way for an individual or a culture to have represented itself. We are in the house of this because the sun is shining it in. So if you're, I uh, pick one because we're talking about Aquarius. So we'll use Aquarius's. If you're an Aquarius, the sun may be shining its light into the house of Aquarius. And thus, it, thus you might say esoterically, the sun is in my house, but truly exoterically, the sun is in the opposite of that house because that's where the sun is in the rotation. It is in this position, shining its light into that position. And that garners a whole bigger, broader world of the mystery schools and the 2160 year cycles and all of this different stuff that we just don't talk about in today's society. But ancient us talked about it all the fucking time. And there's a lot of information there to unpack and learn about and really use to, again, create a different idea of self-awareness and belief structures and forms of education and old language structures and how there's Mason salutes and hand signs and the Shaolin different bows and structures. One bow says, I'm here to fight you. Another bow says, I'm here to respect you and learn from you. 
all sorts of these different ideas and even the religions and their schoolings and the things they taught and the intertwining of it all and how the astrological nature and the pagan structures find our way into Islam and Judaism and Christianity and Jainism and all of these other different ideologies and religions and just the vast network of information and thinking that's out there. Because to be honest, that's why I, I do this podcast is to help people find new ways to think. Tame hindrances in neural kinetics. So go think. Think about these things. Think about the mystery schools. Do some own research. And I'll get further into them. Like I said, getting into tarot and astrology and all these other different things. And maybe even some of the woo-woo that's out there, coined by Cliff High, the woo-woo idea, the woo. So go think. Pick a mystery school. Have at. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.